How many of you know we are not our own? We've been bought with a price, and therefore we're to glorify God in our lives. So can we just glorify Him one more time tonight, church? Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. I don't know about you, but when I think about that passage where it says, I'm not my own, I've been bought with a price. He paid a hefty price for a sinner. And I don't think we should ever forget that. That He gave us His only begotten Son. That was the cost. That was the price that He paid for a sinner. We were sinners and God paid that price anyway. Amen. I thank God for that. Thank God that you're in God's house this evening. It's good to be behind the pulpit and it's good to see you here. I know that we've just come off of a a recent series on Pray uh, Pray Then Like This. Uh, which was all about the Lord's Prayer. And as I'm seeking God for the the next series, because I like to do series, just seeking God for the next series that we want to go to. But in the interim, the Lord put on my heart Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and 14. That's what I want to look at tonight. It's Paul's words to the church in Philippi. But before I read the text and even get to that, I want us to remember... Uh, that Paul writes this epistle, and keep this in mind as we read it later, he writes this epistle from a Roman prison cell. And he doesn't just write it from prison, he, he writes these words and he's even preached these words while he was handcuffed to a Roman soldier, a, praetor, or a praetorian guard. He was in chains, he was under house arrest. Uh, when he writes these words to the Gentile church, and he writes these words to you and me as well, and Uh, To some of us, it may not mean a lot or might not have any significance, but it certainly gives us a better understanding as to what Paul means in verse 14 when he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenly or heavenward in Jesus Christ. And what that means, church, is that even when in chains, even when in prison, Even when suffering, even when in bondage, uh, even when things weren't going his way, even in a place of difficulty and under constant guard, Paul said, one thing I do, I press on. I press on because I want to win the prize, Paul was saying. I press on because I have a goal that's set before me. I press on because Christ called me upward and several other reasons why he pressed on that we'll look at tonight. But what he was saying was in the midst of all of this, in prison, in chains, cuffed to a praetorian guard, I don't give up, I don't grow weary, I don't grumble and complain, I don't throw in the towel, I don't take my hand from the plow, I don't become discouraged and dismayed and run off crying, he said, but instead I press on. Instead of giving up, I press on. Instead of wandering off, I press on. And what Paul is saying to us, church, through that is that no matter what situation or circumstance you might find yourself in, no matter what your difficulties or discouragements might be, Uh, No matter the trials or the tribulations that we might be facing, there is one thing that we should all be willing to do, and that is press on. Please understand, Paul is in prison. 
And he tells us to press on. Paul's under constant guard and he tells us to press on. He's in bondage, you might say, in chains, in handcuffs, and he tells us to press on. And that's the title of my message this evening. It's Press On. And it's the word that I believe the Holy Spirit has for us as well. Because if you know anything about the devil, if you know anything about his tactics, if you know anything about his schemes, it's to get us to give up and not press on. It's to get us to retreat and not press on. It's to get us to quit or throw in the towel or grow weary or to become discouraged or dismayed instead of pressing on. So whatever you might be going through this evening, whatever struggles you might be facing or dealing with tonight, whatever heartaches or headaches you might have encountered through the week or even today, I want us to understand that God is saying to us tonight, press on. Amen? And before I get to the message of the body of the text, that was just the intro as to what the word will be tonight. And as always, let's go to the word in prayer, the Lord in prayer first, before we get into the message. Because how many of you know we need him to press on? We can't press on on our own. I can't preach on on my own. You can't listen on your own. You can't receive or do on your own. We need him to press on. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you're in this house tonight. I thank you, God, that regardless of what we've gone through this week, what headaches, heartaches, trials, tribulations, sadnesses, sorrows, struggles we might have encountered during this week or today, Father God, I thank you that you're bigger than them all. And I thank you, Father, that when we put our trust in you and our hope in you and our confidence in you, that we will always find the strength to press on. So I pray in the name of Jesus tonight that you would anoint my words, my mind, my body, that you would arrest me, Father God, bring me under your control so that you would be glorified, that your words would be spoken. Arrest every heart tonight, Father God. Let it be able to receive your word under your anointing, God. Come against every hindering spirit, every distraction, God, every trouble of the week, God, that would try to stand in the way or keep us from being focused on you. But I pray that we would put you where you belong, in our mind and in our heart, God. We give you the praise and all of God's people said, Amen. Uh, The main body of the text that I want to look at tonight is Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. But I want to preface those verses uh, with Paul's paraphrased words. I won't read it, but his paraphrased concept in verse 10 is where he writes this. I want to know Christ. And I want to become like Christ. That's, that's the nutshell of verse 10. And I pause there to remind us all that this should be the heart of every single Christian. To know Him and to become like Him. If you call yourself a born-again believer, if you call yourself a child of God, if you call yourself saved, that should be your heart and that should be your mindset. It is to know Him and to be like Him. As a matter of fact, in verse 15, Paul says, if you call yourself spiritual and you call yourself mature, this should be your mindset and this should be your heart. So our mindset and our heart as mature Christians should be to know him better than I know him and to become more like him every single day. Amen. 
So that's what we need to understand, that that should be our desire, is to know him. Not just to know him as some distant historical figure, or some famous teacher, or some prolific prophet, but we need to know him as our up-close and personal Lord and Savior. We need to know him as the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you remember the Word of God, you know that one day Jesus was walking with his disciples down a particular road, and he asks them in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 and 29, who do men say that I am? Who do men think I am? Who do your neighbors say that I am? You might use those words. Or who do people say that I am? Who do the crowds that that gather around me and that you listen to, disciples, who do men say that I am? And they replied and said, some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the other great prophets or maybe a great teacher. But then Jesus makes it personal. Because how many of you know when it comes to our spiritual growth, when it comes to my eternity and my life, it doesn't matter what someone else thinks about God. It doesn't matter what someone else believes God to be or who someone else believes God to be. It, it, what matters is who I believe God to be or what, who I think God is. It doesn't matter what someone else might say. And that's really what Jesus is teaching. It doesn't matter what someone else says. I care about what you say. Because you're my disciples and you're my follower and I want to know what you say. So he says, who do you say that I am? Who do you know me to be? In other words, he was saying, and who do you believe me to be? And we know Peter, he was the first one to say, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon that rock, Peter, I will build my church. And I know that there's a lot of Uh, Different theologies as to what uh, uh, Jesus meant when he said, upon this rock, upon you, Peter, I'll build my church. And I don't want to get into all of that. But one thing is certain from this comment that he makes. It's certain, in my opinion, that's the fact that the church will never be built on those who don't know him. The church of God will never move forward. And the church of God, not the denomination, I'm talking about the family of God, the church of God, it will never be built and it will never move forward and it will never grow on those who don't know him. It'll never move forward or it'll never increase on those who don't know him, who don't know him as the Christ, the son of the living God. God will only build his church on those who know him as the Christ. He will only build a church on those who know him as the son of the living God, the one who came to take away the sins of the world. And the reality is, unless you believe that, unless you know him as the Christ, the son of the living God, God will never do anything in your life or through your life. So that's just a foundation that we need to understand. When Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. It was upon that belief. And it was upon that knowledge that the church was built. Because unless you have that knowledge and you know him at that degree, you won't have faith in him. You won't trust in him. You won't follow him. So that's one of the things that we need to understand. That we know him to the depths that Peter knew him. And that we know him to the depths that that Paul knew him as well. Because the truth is, there's many ways that we can know someone. We can say we know someone because we recognize them. We can say we know someone because we've seen them before. You ever been, oh, I think I know that person. I've seen them somewhere. 
I know that person. That's one way that we can know someone. We can say we know someone because we're acquainted with what they do. Now, they're my baker. I buy my bread from them, so I know them. I, I buy my beef from that butcher, so I know him. I, I, I eat at that restaurant, so I know that owner. That's one way that we can know someone because we're acquainted with what they do. We can say we know someone because we actually converse with them. Because maybe we're on some form of speaking terms with them. Maybe we bump into them at the water cooler and we have some chit-chat every day. Maybe we, we, we have a little conversation with them when we go to get our cup of coffee in the morning. And that's one way that we can know someone. We can say we know someone because we spend time in their home. Or we spend time with their family. Or we actually have some form of fellowship with them. And you can see this type of knowledge and knowing is increasing. We can say that we know someone because we actually have committed our life to that person. Because we live with them every single day. Because we share every circumstance of life with them. Whether it's good or bad like we do with a husband or, or we do with a wife. That's the way we can know someone. But Paul is referring to a knowing that goes beyond all of that. When he's talking about knowing Christ, he's, no, he, he's talking about knowing Him at a deeper level than anything that I've even mentioned to you, even deeper than an intimate marriage relationship. It's the kind of knowing that Charles Spurgeon talks about when he writes these words. Charles Spurgeon was an old-time preacher. He was called the Prince of Preachers, if you don't know who he is. But he writes these words. He says, they tell me he is a refiner and that he cleanses from spots and stains. He washed me with his precious blood and to that extent I know him. They tell me that he clothes the naked and since he covered me with a garment of righteousness, to that extent I know him. They tell me that he is a breaker. And that he breaks fetters and sets the captives free. And since he has set my soul at liberty, to that extent, I know him. They tell me that he is a king and that he reigns over every sin. That he has subdued my enemies beneath his feet. Therefore, to that extent, I know him because he has set me free from the foe. They tell me he is a shepherd and I know him to that extent, for I am his sheep. And because he leads me beside still waters and causes me to lie down in green pastures. They say he is a door. And I have entered in through him, therefore I know him as the door. They say he is food. And my spirit feeds on him as on bread of heaven that satisfies my soul. And in that way I know him because he has filled me with all good things. And he goes on and, and explains different levels of knowing Jesus Christ and knowing God. And it's exactly what Paul meant when he said, I want to know him. You see, when Paul said in verse 10, I want to know him, he said, I want to know him in his fullness. I want to know him at every level like Charles Spurgeon talks about. I want to know him in his richness. I want to know him in his attributes. I want to know him in his character. This is exactly what he said. And in order for us to be like him, church, in order for us to be like Christ, this is how we have to know him as well. We have to know him as the doer. We have to know him as the breaker. We have to know him, church, as the refiner. We have to know him as the one that clothes us, church. We have to know him as the doer 
pure and as the food of heaven. If we want to be like him, we have to know him like this. Not as some historical figure that wandered the earth 2,000 years ago. We need to know him as the one that resides in the center of my soul. We have to know him as the bread of life. We have to know him as the one that came to set the captives free. We need to know him as the precious lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world, church. And when we know him in his fullness, when we know him in his richness, when we know him in all of his attributes... When we know Him in all of His characters, we will become like Him, church. Because here's the reality. When you understand His holiness, you become more holy. When you know Him in His righteousness, you become more righteous. When you know Him in His patience and the attribute of His patience, guess what? You become more patient. When you know Him in His kindness, you become more kind. When you know Him in His gentleness... You become more gentle. And this is what Paul is talking about. I don't want to just know him as the one that hung on the cross for me uh, just a, a few days before or a few years before. I want to know him in his fullness. I want to know everything there is to know about him because Paul understood that the more I know him, the more I become like him. The more I understand his character and his attributes and who he is, the more I can become a reflection of him. As a matter of fact, I'll look at it and we'll talk about it in a little bit. But he even said, I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. And I'll talk about that as we go. But the question is tonight, who do we know him to be? The question we have to ask ourselves is, who do we know him to be and at what level do we know him? Because like I said, the more we know him, the more we become like him, church. If we don't know him in his fullness, we'll never develop to his fullness. And this is why Paul's desire was first, I want to know him, because he understood the more I know about my Savior, the more I know about this one that... that that I was persecuting, the more I know about this one that stopped me on the road and knocked me off my horse and caused, caused me to be blind for three days, the more I know about him, the more I'll be like him. And Paul's desire was to be nothing other than an example of Jesus Christ. And that should be our heart as well. If we call ourselves a Christian, our number one desire should to be like Jesus Christ. That we would be a reflection of Him. That we could be an example of Him. And the only way that I can be like Him is, is by knowing about Him. You want to know why so many individuals in the house of God are not like Christ? It's because they don't know anything about Christ. They're not in the Bible like they should be in the Bible. They're not studying or learning about Christ like they should. And it's why they struggle being like Him, because they just don't know Him, church. They're still ignorant. They're still immature, you might call them, in their faith, because they've not grown to that level. Paul said, I want to know Christ and I want to become like Christ in verse 10. And then in verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained all this, not that I fully know him, not that I'm fully developed in my faith, not that I've arrived, not that I've been there. He says, not that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. For which God has called me heavenly word in Jesus Christ. 
And the very first thing that I want us to look at is, is the fact that Paul understood that he hadn't arrived yet. Paul understood that he wasn't complete yet. Paul understood there was still some stuff to do inside of him. And Paul understood that he hadn't finished his race yet. Paul understood, I'm not complete and I've not completed the call on my life either. And what we have to understand is that no matter what level or wherever we are in our faith, that has to be our understanding too. I don't care if you've been saved for one day, or you've been saved for 10 years, or you've been saved for 50 years, or you've been saved since you said you were 6 years old and now you're 60. There's still room for you to grow. And you've not arrived yet, and you're not completely like Christ yet. And guess what? He's not done with you either. I don't care who you are or what age you are, you're not finished yet. Because God still has a call on your life. And Paul understood that. It's why he said, I haven't arrived at my goal yet. Paul understood he had room to improve. He, he understood that there was still too much Paul and not enough Jesus. How many of you understand that? You see, if we want to be mature, we got to understand that... I have to understand, there's still too much Jeff in here and not enough Jesus in here. Paul understood not only was there too much Paul in here and not enough Christ, he actually believed there was still a little bit of Saul inside of him too. And he needed to get rid of Saul. And this is one of the things that he understood, why he realized and why he knew he had not arrived yet. He understood that God and Christ were still at work within him. I want you to know that every day God's still working on you. He's still working with you. He's still working for you. And He's doing the same thing for me every single day. He understood that there were depths to Christ that He had not yet experienced. Church, I want every one of us to know in here, there are depths to Christ that you have yet to experience. If you're here and you think, I've experienced everything there is to God... Tell me your secret. Please tell me your secret. Because none of us have learned everything there is to know about God. We see in a mirror dimly, the Bible tells us. We won't know everything there is. So every day we've got to strive to learn more about Jesus Christ. Paul understood that there were depths to him that he had not yet experienced. And this is why I said earlier, this is why he said, I want to know him even in the fellowship of his sufferings, he said. Because Paul understood that even in suffering, he could learn something more about God. Even in a time of suffering, even in a time of trial or tribulation, even in a time of sadness or sorrow, even when he was in prison, even when he was handcuffed to a praetorian guard, he knew that there was something more that he could learn about Jesus Christ. And if he could learn something more, that he could become something better. He understood, chained to a praetorian guard, that there's something better, something more I can know about Jesus. I can learn about Him in my suffering. I want you to know you can learn more about God in your suffering. You can learn about God in sickness. You can discover more about God in your wilderness. You can discover more about God in the middle of your heartache. You can discover more about God in a fiery furnace or in the middle of a flood or in the middle of a heartache and a headache than maybe you'll ever learn any time before. Paul understood that he could learn something about his Savior and something about Jesus Christ even in the middle of suffering. 
And he also understood that sometimes God will use suffering to make me more like Jesus. Oh, but that's not God. Yes, it is God. Because you know what God's ultimate goal is for you and God's ultimate goal is for me? It's not that we necessarily be happy. It's that we become more like Jesus Christ. And sometimes He has to take us into the fire to make us a little bit more like Jesus. Sometimes He has to put us through the flood to make us a little more like Jesus. Sometimes He's got to put us out in the hot burning sun in order to make us more like Jesus. Sometimes He has to surround us but with the enemy in order to make us more like Jesus. Sometimes He will take us through sickness and trial like He did with Job in order to make Him more like Jesus. He'll put you through the fire so you come out like gold. He'll put you under pressure so you come out like a diamond. This is what we have to understand, that God will allow some of those things to happen, church, in order for us to become more like Christ. And Paul understood that. Understand, Paul wrote these words from a place of spiritual maturity and purity that most of us will never attain. Most of us will never come to... And I'm not mean this in a negative way. I hope you get to be like Paul. I know I'm not there. I've not been shipwrecked. I've not been stoned. I've not been beaten how many times that he had. I've not been persecuted like him. So I'm not at that place that Paul was at. But in the midst of all of those things that he went through, his desire was to constantly know him more and to become more like Jesus Christ. But he writes these words about pressing on. He writes these words about, I've not attained it yet. He writes these words about, I'm not complete yet, and there's still things for God to do inside of me. He writes these things from a place of spiritual maturity that most of us will never ascribe to. He writes these words, and yet, church, about pressing on, and he looks at himself as incomplete. I look at Paul as one of the most complete Christians in Scripture. But he understood that he was incomplete. He understood that his job was incomplete, that his call was still incomplete, that he had not yet arrived. He was knowing that there was still more to be done. And if we want to be like Christ, we have to understand the same thing, that we cannot stop growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Listen, when you stop growing in grace and you stop growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you're going to wither up and die. You're going to have the enemy come and overtake you, you and me. Listen, even in the natural, when you stop growing in knowledge and you stop using your brain and you stop absorbing stuff, guess your your mind actually begins to deteriorate. We should constantly be striving to learn, constantly moving forward. This is what Paul is encouraging us to do. That we've got to press on, that we've got to move forward, that we've got to continue to grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we can never stop moving forward. One of the things that just so, especially in the Pentecostal church, Woo, I've been saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. I've arrived. I speak in tongues. I've arrived. I've been slain in the Spirit. I've arrived. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. Paul, 
who was filled with the fire and the power of the Holy Ghost. Paul, who said, I speak in tongues more than every one of my followers and everyone in my churches. I, filled with the Holy Ghost, I'm incomplete. I have not arrived yet. Please understand the giftings that God gives you. Gift, the Holy Spirit is a gift. All of those things are a gift. They make you better, but they don't make you complete. Just, there's always room to grow. There's always room to move forward. There's always room to let God do something greater and more powerful in your life. And the reality is the more you give yourself to God, the more He'll do in you, the more He'll do through you, and the more He'll do for you. When we think we've arrived, we think, okay, God, I've got enough. I've got enough. I, I don't have enough. I'm telling you, I don't have enough. And I'm not enough like Him either. There's too much of me still in there. And Paul understood that and it's what he's trying to teach us. He's saying, I haven't already arrived. I do have a goal. And my goal is to know Christ. My goal is to be like Christ. And my ultimate goal is to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. But I'll never reach my goal unless I do what? Unless I press on Unless I continue to move forward, unless I continue to grow, unless I continue to strive. Here we have the the greatest New Testament author who's saying, I've not arrived yet, but one thing I do, I press on. I keep growing, I keep going. And we've got to do the same if we want to win the prize, church. According to Paul, in his own words, there was only one option open for him. There was only one answer to his current concern, one answer to his current condition, one way for him to, to, to receive the prize, church, and that was to press on. He said, one thing I do, I press on. He didn't say two things I do. He didn't say ten things I do. He said in plain language here, even when you look at the Greek, he said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press on. I press on. You see, listen, if you don't do that thing, you're not going anywhere. I don't care. You could do a hundred other things. But if you find yourself in a situation like he does or, or not, whether it's a good situation or bad, if you're not willing to do that one thing, you'll never win the prize. If you're not willing to do that one thing, you'll never wear the crown. If you're not willing to do that one thing, you won't cross the finish line. If you're not willing to do that one thing, you won't know Him like you can know Him, and you won't be like Him either. If you're not willing to do that one thing, which is press on. And the devil knows that. That's why he attacks you. The devil knows that. It's why he discourages you. The devil knows that. It's why he turns your world upside down. The devil knows that. It's why he brings all sorts of heartache and headache into your life. Because he wants to keep you from pressing on. Because he knows that that's the one thing that you need to win the prize. So he'll do whatever he can to get you to throw in the towel, to get you to quit, to get you to turn your back, to turn all those things, to, to just throw up your hands and say, forget it. It's what he'll do. Because he knows that there's one thing. Listen, Paul's... Paul's answer, Paul's option was to press on. One thing I do, I press on. Listen, the answer wasn't to take a break. Paul's answer wasn't to go on some kind of retreat. Paul's answer wasn't to take a spiritual vacation because he found himself in prison. It wasn't to appoint someone else to take his place, church, because he was handcuffed to a prison guard. 
please, please understand this and get this. Paul is chained. Come here. Paul is chained to a prison guard. He's the guard on Paul. He's chained to a prison guard. He could have wrote a letter and said, uh, Timothy, go preach for me. He could have wrote a letter, oh, John, go, go preach for me. You know what he did with the prison guard right next to him? Do you know Jesus? He preached. He preached. He preached. He sat down at his desk and he began to write epistles and write letters to the church. Chained to a prison guard. Thank you, guard. Chained to a prison guard. He didn't make excuses. He didn't write a letter of resignation. He didn't put the responsibility on someone else. He didn't take a, he didn't do any of those things. What he said was, I press on. I might be chained, I press on. I might be in prison, I press on. I might be under constant guard, I press on. And the sad reality is so many times we have situations like this come into our life. Ah, I'm taking a break. I can't handle it. I'm not putting up with it. I'll get somebody else to take care of. That's not the answer. That's not how we win the prize. That's not how we cross the line. That's not how we wear the crown. That's not how we do it, churches. As children of God, we are to press on. Whether it feels good or not, whether it's hard or not, church, we are to press on. Listen, the devil will do all that he can to block our path. He'll do all that he can to keep us from striving, church. He'll try to make our path difficult. He'll try to make our path daunting. And it's exactly why Paul said, straining forward. Straining forward, he said. I press on. Because the way to knowing him, and the way to spiritual maturity, the way to becoming like Christ, the way to victory, church, the way to the finish line, the way to the prize, it's not always easy. And you know that as well as I do, church. Sometimes the road is hard. Sometimes the road is tough. Sometimes the road is rough. But in the middle of it, the Holy Spirit and God is saying, press on, press on. It's not always the, the way that we want it to be, church. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's discouraging. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's difficult to run the race. Sometimes it's daunting. Sometimes it almost seems impossible. But it's in those times that the Holy Spirit is telling us that we need to press on, church. We have to press on. Sometimes on the way to becoming like Jesus Christ, we have to go through the fire. Sometimes on the way to becoming like Jesus Christ, we have to go through the flood. Listen, to know Him, at, to know him as provider... Sometimes God might let you go hungry. How are you going to know Him as provider unless maybe He lets you go hungry? How are you going to know Him as deliverer unless sometimes He lets you be surrounded by the enemy? How are you going to know Him as Prince of Peace and maybe, unless maybe He lets some discord come into your life or some chaos come into your life? How are you going to know Him as Jehovah Rapha, the one that heals me, unless maybe He allows you to be sick for a season? All I'm telling you is that sometimes in order to know Him the way Paul is saying we should know Him in His fullness, sometimes He lets things that look negative in our lives come into our lives so a positive can come out of it. Listen. You understand what I'm saying? Hagar cast out into the wilderness. 
didn't get to know him as El, would have never known him as El Roi or El Roi, the one, the God who sees, unless she was put in that position. This is what we have to understand. Sometimes God puts us in predicaments or allows us to be put in predicaments in order for us to know him better. In order for us to know him as a strong tower. He might allow the ground beneath your feet to tremble. You know, the Word of God says that He is a strong tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower that I can run into and be safe. Safe from what? Safe from the enemy. Safe from the chaos. Safe from from all of those things. And sometimes God will allow your life to be shaken in order for you to know Him as the strong tower that you can run to and be safe. Sometimes he'll let the enemy come close so that you run to him for help, church. How can you know him as the ever-present help in a time of trouble unless maybe he allows some trouble to come into your life? See, again, it's not a, we have to learn how to look at this. God wants you to know him in his fullness. He wants you to know him in his richness. He wants you to know Him in all of His attributes and all of His character traits, church. And in order for that to happen, sometimes what we call negative things, He lets them happen in our life so we can know Him better. Because that's His desire. He's not focused on your our, our every moment comfort. Sometimes He makes us uncomfortable in order for us to find comfort in Him. And that's what Paul is trying to teach us, church. And what Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture is no matter what circumstance I find myself in, no matter what situation I find myself in, no matter what God is allowed or allowing to happen in my life, one thing I do in the midst of it all, he's saying, is I press on. One thing I do in order to obtain the prize. One thing I do in order to cross the finish line. One thing I do in order to make it to the finish line is press on. One thing I do in order to lay hold of that for which Jesus laid hold of me is to press on. I want you to know Jesus laid hold of Paul and laid hold of you for a reason. Some of you might not even know the reason God laid hold of you. What do you mean? Paul said, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ laid hold of me. That he grabbed hold of me. And the word he used there in the Greek, it means to apprehend. Paul was on his own path. Paul was on his own. Saul was. He was on his own path, doing his own thing. And somewhere along the way, Jesus showed up and grabbed a hold of him, the Bible says. Apprehended him in the Greek. It means apprehended. It means to take down and bring under authority. And Paul said, I press on so that I might take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. Well, why did Jesus grab hold of Paul? It was to make him a new man. You know that. Change his name from Saul to Paul. He grabbed hold of him to make him a witness to the world. He grabbed hold of him to give him a testimony. He grabbed hold of him so that he might be salt and that he might be light. He he grabbed hold of him so that he might have life and life eternal. That's why he grabbed hold of him. So that he might use him as an instrument for saving other souls. And I want you to know that's why God grabbed hold of you too. 
It's why somewhere in your life when you were running and doing your own thing, God reached down from heaven and decided to grab a hold of you and apprehend you and bring you under His authority. It's so that He could change you, so that He could transform you, so that He can mold you and make you into something that looks like His Son, Jesus Christ. He he grabbed hold of you so that you could be salt and you could be light and a witness to the world. He grabbed hold of you so that you might have life and have life eternal as well. And that's why we press on, so that we can grab a hold of those very things that Christ grabbed hold of us for. I hope you're understanding that. Listen, I grab hold of Christ. The reason I grab hold of Christ is because I want to be a new man. That's why he grabbed hold of me. I grab hold of Christ because I want to to be transformed. I want to be molded and made, made into something better than I am right now. I grab hold of God because I want to have life eternal. You understand what I'm saying? This is what Paul is teaching. He's pressing on so that he might grab hold of that very reason or that thing that Christ grabbed hold of him. Just give you a lesson there. One thing I do, I press on toward the goal, he said. Which leads me to another point. It's already quarter after, so I'm going to start winding this thing down. But he said, I press on toward the goal. One of the truths that we have to understand is that I hope you have a goal. I hope you have some spiritual goals in your life. Because if you don't, you're not going to go anywhere and you're not going to grow anywhere. If you don't have any spiritual goals in your life, you're not going to know Him better and you won't become more like Him. The Bible tells me that without a vision, the people perish. Paul understood that. If I want to be like Christ, then I got to have some goals. If I want want to know Christ, then I got to have some goals. If I want some things to be accomplished through, I got to have some spiritual goals. The reason so many people are spiritually immature in the house of God is because they've got no spiritual goals. They just come to church. That's their goal. They, They come to church. That's it. They don't have any spiritual goals set before them. The Bible tells me that Jesus even had set something before him. Whom fo- Jesus endured the cross for the hope set before him, for the joy set before him, for the prize set before him, you could say, for the goal set before him. He endured the cross despising its shame. Even Jesus had something set before him. The cross was what was set before him, but guess what his prize was? His prize was you and me. Our prize is him. That's why he endured for the prize or the hope set before. What was the hope set before Jesus? It was the hope of us becoming joint heirs with him. It was the hope of seeing us restored. It was the hope of seeing us come out of darkness into His glorious light. It was the hope of us being reunited with the Father. It was the hope of us having everlasting life. It was the hope of us being with Him in heaven. That was the hope set before Him. That's what He kept before Him. He kept you and me in front of Him the whole time He was going through life. That hope of us being with Him in heaven. It's what helped Him move on. It's what helped Him press on. It's what helped him endure the cross. So what is it that we should always have set before us? Jesus Christ. He's the hope we should have. The hope of knowing him, the hope of being like him, and the hope of being with him one day in glory. So listen, if you don't always have Jesus in front of you, you're in a bad place. If you don't have any spiritual goals, 
If you don't have some things that you want to ascribe to, some things that you want to attain in a spiritual way, you'll never, you'll never reach the, the place that God wants you to be, church. We always have to have a, a, something set in front of us. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me. And it's why Paul pressed on. He said, forgetting what lies behind, as I close this out, forgetting what lies behind, I press on. I move forward. What Paul was saying, listen, is Paul understood that I have to put yesterday behind me. Paul was focused on the forward. And he wasn't about to let the things, that, the things of yesterday or the things that were behind him get in the way. He wasn't going to allow prison to get in the way. He wasn't going to allow shipwrecks to get in the way. He wasn't going to allow previous struggles or heartaches or headaches or hassles get in the way. Forgetting what lies behind, he said. All of the difficulties, all of the trials, all of the tribulations. Because Paul understood this. If I'm focused on what's behind me, if I'm focused on yesterday, I'll never be blessed today And I'll never get to tomorrow. And the sad reality is there's far too many people in the house of God that are focusing on yesterday. They're living in yesterday. The pains of yesterday, the hurts of yesterday, the failures of yesterday, the struggles of yesterday, even the accomplishments of yesterday. They're kind of like that high school football player who 30 years later, still living 30 years ago on yesterday, and they've not become anything today because they're living in the past. Paul could have done the same thing. I preached a great sermon yesterday, so I don't got to preach one today. I started a church over here in Asia Minor, said, oh, I don't need to start another one today. He could have used his successes to keep him him from moving forward, and some of us do the same thing. We do something great for God. Now I take a rest. You know what Paul said? I did one good thing, but I did it under God's power. And I'm not going to rest on that. I'm going to press on. I might have preached one sermon, but I got another one to preach. I might have saved one soul, but I got another one to save. I might have write one letter. I got another letter to write. I might have sang one song. I got another song to sing. I might have taken one step. I got another step to take. This is what Paul understood. This is what he meant. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on. And the sad reality is far too many of us are stuck in yesterday. So we can't rejoice today. We can't be used today. We can't be anointed today. We can't be transformed today. Because we're living in the future. Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting the stonings. Forgetting the whippings. Forgetting the heartaches, forgetting all the sermons that I've preached, all the churches that I've started, all the letters that I've written, good and bad, forgetting those things, I strive forward. I strive forward. And the word Paul used, strive, in the Greek it meant to use, it. the best way for me to explain it refers to an athlete. They were referring to an athlete, meaning every muscle Every tendon, everything about their body was exerted to its fullest. Every ounce of energy 
was expended to the fullest. Every ounce of, of power, every ounce of strength in order to win the race was put out on the field. All of it was exhausted. All of it was used. This is what Paul meant by straining forward, church. It means, listen, if you want to win the prize, you got some straining to do. You've got some exerting to do because, like I said, it's not always easy. We must strive. We must strain, church. Pressing on requires some work. It might require an extra prayer. It might require an extra praise. It might require an extra song. It might require an extra five minutes in the prayer room. It might require an extra Bible. It might require something more. But we get comfortable and we get lazy and that's too much, God. Well, if you want to win the race, if you want to wear the crown, if you want to win the prize, then you've got to strive and strain and you have to press on. Here's the fact that we need to understand. The truth is it's a deception to live in the past and it's a deception to live in the future because God wants us to press on in the present. God wants us to press on right now, church. Paul knew that a race was only won in the present moment. Paul understood that. If you understand the language and how much they use sporting and athletic stuff, Paul understood that the race is won at the present moment. The race is won with this step right now and this stride right now with this breath right now. He can't worry about the last breath and can't worry about the last step and can't worry about the last stride. He has to worry about right now, one more step, one more breath, one more stride, one more effort, one more moment, one more, one more, one more, keep going, one more, one more. One more prayer, one more song, one more, one more. It's right now. You can't win a race yesterday on yesterday's stride. You can't win a fight on yesterday's battle, church. It's daily, Paul understood, to win the race, to wear the crown, to gain the prize. It had to be right now. Press on in the present. He understood that every step, every strain, every effort, every breath was for right now. And we have to understand that it is right now that I have to strive as well. Whatever you might be going through in life, whatever circumstance or situation you might find yourself, the Holy Spirit is saying right now is when you have to make the effort. Right now is when you have to strain and strive. Right now is where you have to exert all of your strength to press on and not give in to the temptation to quit. Not give in to the temptation to throw in the towel. Not to give in to the temptation to just forfeit the race and say, I quit, I give up. When you find yourself in that place of difficulty, you have to find the strength to say, like Paul, one thing I'm going to do. I might not be able to do anything else, but I'm going to press on. How many of you want to win the race? Then you've got to press on. Stand to your feet and we're going to go ahead and close this evening. Listen, the reality is we can't press on if we're stuck in yesterday. You'll never get till tomorrow or to tomorrow unless you're willing to press on today. I want to win the prize and in order to win the prize, I've got to be willing to press on. I want to know Christ. I want to be like Christ. And in order for that to happen, I have to press on. Ultimately, I want to be with Christ. Amen? So for that to happen, I have to press on. Paul said, this one thing I do, 
forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenly word in Christ Jesus. So if you want to win the prize, you have to be in Christ. You have to be in Christ. That's the whole key. It's the last word he said, in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you need to get in Christ tonight. If he's not the one in front of you, you need to put him in front of you so that we can pursue. Father God, I just thank you for your word this evening. I thank you, Father, for speaking to us, Father, this evening. I thank you, Lord, that you are the one that set the example uh, concerning striving and pressing forward when you could have given up, when you could have called 10,000 angels, the Bible says, to take you down from the cross and rescue us. You went through all of it because you weren't finished yet. And finally, when it was all accomplished, even like we've learned, Father, in the last study that we did, you finished everything and then you said it was finished. And you gave up your spirit to the Father. Let us have that same spirit, the same spirit as Christ, the same spirit as Paul, that no matter what we're going through, we're willing to press on, that we're willing to strain and strive, Father God, towards the prize, toward the goal. I hope and pray, God, that it's every one of our desires that we be like Christ and that we know more of Christ. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just allow that to be our heart's desire, that, that if it's not there, that our desire would be, Father, to be transformed, uh, to be willing to allow you to lead us how we need to be led, God, because sometimes you'll take us through difficulties to make us more like you and to reveal more of yourself. So wherever we might be tonight, God, my prayer is that you would reveal yourself in that place. If someone's in a place of suffering, reveal yourself. If someone's in a place of sadness, reveal yourself. If someone, God, is in a place of difficulty or decision, I pray that you would reveal yourself. If they're in a place of sickness, reveal yourself to them, Father God, so that they might know you better. And as they become, begin to know you better, they can become more like your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that you would take this word tonight, that you would allow it to find a place in the soil of our soul, that it can transform us that it would bear fruit and fruit that would last. I pray, God, that as we leave this evening, that you would be a hedge about us, that you would guide our steps, that you would order us, Father God, along the path of righteousness for your name's sake. I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit that's here, God. Cover us and keep us. Let us be a blessing to those around us and help us to always realize why you grabbed hold of us, God, and let us grab hold of you every day and every moment so that we can win the race and win the prize. We give you the praise and we give you the glory. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless him one last time, church? Amen. If you have a special need, you want us to tarry and pray with you, please, we'll make that time available. But just go this week and don't forget to press on. Amen.